Welcome back to the summer of the Mac here at the Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook. I am the titular Mac W. Monty, and with me as always is... The eccentric Dick Riggums, taxidermic collector extraordinaire, here with some interesting deals for the boys and girls in town. Okay, who who's this? Oh, okay, so... You know how we're doing, you know, we're doing the summer of the Mac. It's kind of, it's my moment to kind of sit back and take it easy. Well, I got very bored very quickly. Um, so I invited all of my characters onto the show this week. All of them, all the ones I've created over the years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I can, I could list them all, uh-huh. but why don't you take the, you know, wheel, get your hand on the ball and, and maybe just introduce a few. Yeah, I would be happy to. Let me reach into my bag here. Um, but I think this first one is going to be very easy to figure out if you know what I mean. <laughs> Halloween's so far away, I Dr. Mean, Frankenway. Pete, oh, okay. Uh, right. Sorry. You you do know who that is. I forgot. I forgot. No, no. You're, he's in town. That's good. Let me just shove him back in the back. I'm almost written. Get back in there. No. St- sorry. Sorry. Crypt Keeper was okay, also yeah, very... Well, hold on, wait. I heard the Crypt Keeper in there. I forgot about him. Yeah, sorry. He... <laughs> Is it spooky season yet? Shut up. No, not yet, Crypt Keeper. Where have you been? Oh, you're Crypt, I guess. <laughs> you know, who needs to sit at home watching their boring old DVD of M. Night Shyamalan Split when you can be here in the studio getting the exact same performance? And I mean the exact same performance from shot Lucky. Shot for shot audio remake. Thank you for recognizing the effort I put into this. Yeah, stay tuned for the big twist at the end. Well, who else is in the studio? Hey, it's me, Alfonso Pepperoni, huh? No relation to Pepperoni Fortune. Okay, that's kind of a... I've seen Luca, and that's not how Italian people talk. Who told you I was Italian? I'm from New York. Okay, oh, okay. What was your name again, sir? (laughs) Alfonso Pepperoni. No relation to the Pepperoni Fortune, but I got the very best deals on meat. Okay, and what was your badge number, sir? (laughs) That's privileged information. It looks like you're sweating grease. Oh, so I'm sweating eight different kinds of grease, just like the best of meats. You can find it coming out of every pore. It's delicious and nutritious. Here at the pepperoni family, pepperoni's in our DNA. Literally. How you see the commercials, it's so good to be recognized. Hey. Yeah, they come on all the time. They wake me up after I've fallen asleep watching old Golden Girls episodes, and they jar me awake. All right. Sorry. Let me just thank you. Thank you, Alfonso Pepperoni. Thank you. Um, <laughs> he had a lot to say. I like that. Yeah, he's a he's a very uh, well developed and thought out character. Certainly. Um, it'll be a long time for him to get back to New York, but that's fine. Would you like to hear my other New York character? Oh, yeah, there's two. Good. Thank God. There's two. <laughs> Hey, it's me, New York Nick. I'm a New York to a guy who's never been to New York. <laughs> okay, thank, that's great, Nick. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. What, in your opinion, is the number one secret hotspot in New York? That's obvious. It's the fountain from Friends. Hey, <laughs> I heard that was filmed in a soundstage in Queens. Nope, it's real. I'll definitely take you there. Don't even worry about it. Jump on my rickshaw. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Nick. We'll be in touch. Everybody needs a travel agent here in 2021. Pizza rat. Yeah, sorry, that's his exit line. He actually, he left the studio right after he said Pizza Rat. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought Pizza Rat was your next character. <laughs> no. <that> was, <laughs> damn, I mean, you are throwing me a lot of great ideas for the next episode, but <laughs> I just, I'm just saying I'm bringing these characters to the table. This is the, this is the summer of the Mac. This is where Lucky plays in the space. Well, Lucky, thank you for bringing that wonderful cast of wacky characters onto the show. I hope we'll see some more of them as the night goes on. That wasn't even half of them. I've got plenty more. <laughs> oh, great. Good. That's fantastic. <laughs> You seem very positive about that. I'm excited. Just like 
I'm excited about talking about Sex and the City. That's right. This week, we are reading Sex and the City by Candace Bushnell, a collection of true articles written for The Observer in the 1990s about relationships and love in New York City. Uh, why don't we pull a Scrooge McDuck lucky and dive right in? Damn, I wish I had a duck character. This would have been a perfect insertion, but you got me. Let's do it. Give me a nosedive. Oh, Uncle Donald, I'd love to read that book. Oh, why is he? He sounded like too horny. I don't know if that's just my, (laughs) if I'm just projecting on there, but that duck was horny. You're definitely projecting. Oh, whatever. I got a weird thing for Donald Duck. Anyway, as you were saying. Love in Manhattan? I don't think so. Our first entry is a Valentine's Day rumination on finding love in Manhattan and the cynical Gen X attitudes towards modern relationships and sex. First, we meet a journalist from London who moves to New York City where she begins dating a rich and handsome man. They date for about two weeks before the man drives her to his house in the Hamptons. The house is still under construction, and while she's there, he introduces her to the architect of the house. Wait, I'm sorry. It's just that's just such a buckwild thing already. Like, we're just the first story, and this man, after two weeks, is already introducing this woman to his architect. Holy shit, that is a bold move. You want to see my house that's not yet a house? You know, this would be a perfect place for a nursery or whatever. I'm not thinking about it, but... Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she starts thinking about their future together, and then the man, we'll call him Hampton, ghosts her. And no lucky. I don't mean that he kills her and buries her in the foundation of the house. Oh, man. He simply doesn't call her back. I was waiting for that the whole story, I gotta say. Uh, the author, Candace, surmises that in London, meeting the architect would mean marriage was imminent, or a proposal at least, but in New York City, it means nothing, calling the 90s the age of uninnocence. This story highlights, I think, the general oeuvre of the book, which is like love. I don't think so. Like I the love is dead in Manhattan. The romance is dead. And all we have is this sort of cynical uh, world of hookups and single ladies and douchey single dudes. Mm. I, I agree. I find I found this one very hard to get into at the beginning because, you know, we just came from reading these collection of short stories that were very self-contained where I feel like these columns ended up becoming what Sex in the City is, becoming the show. That first story, they were all over the map. And I had a hard time kind of tracking what the main story was because it was it was kind of this like anthology of romance in New York and trying to follow along each individual story. It's like, wait, do these characters know each other? Oh, my God. I, I got there eventually, but certainly it was a little uh, little hard to parse on my end. So I don't think anyone is debating that love in the modern world, at least in the 1990s, was in a little bit of a shambles. People had kind of fallen out of the old notion of being swept off of your feet. And a lot of the people being described in these essays and the author herself were a little bit older than some of the characters in the romance books we read. These are women and men in their 30s and 40s who are looking for what affection, love, maybe like distantly, but they've almost like stopped believing in it. And there's a few like ideas like everybody seems to have a theory about why these women are single or why love doesn't mean as much as it used to. And a lot of them feel like it's about fear. Like the, the one quote from the book is um, self-protection and closing the deal are paramount. So it's this idea that like you want to hook up with someone, but at the same time, you don't want to put yourself out there too much because you're going to get hurt. So be, so much pain has caused people to kind of retreat into their shells, maybe. That's a dating in your late 20s anyway. I, I really relate to these stories, I got to say. We should write a column. We should have a sex column. The GRBN in the city column. The last, that's a great title already. I love it. The last couple of stories we've read, I mean, a lot of it was just make up a story and put it in a column. These ones are true. And even reading through these, I was like, I think there was maybe a little bit of fun embellishing here. I feel like we could easily write a sex and in and around the city column. So obviously no plagiarizing there. What about we try and go to our untapped demographic, abstinence in the country? 
would be the name of the column. You want us to push abstinence in rural areas with our column? Explore it. You know, I'm not saying we'd push it. Does this push does, sex? I guess how does... Okay, first of all, yes. I would say that our podcast certainly pushes <laughs> sex. Second of all, I am curious how one explores abstinence. Yeah, very briefly is how you explore abstinence. <laughs> Swinging sex? I don't think so. In our second entry, Candace hears about a wild sex club from a male colleague called La Trapeze, with a Z. Okay, I gotta say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That absolutely, I would, the, when I read that, before we got into the sex, I was like, fuck yeah, an adult trapeze club? This is sick. New York is popping off. Like, I get why people are rowdy here. Yeah, it's definitely a French-esque sex club. Imagining a tantric world of enlightened, beautiful people shyly touching each other before going all the way, Candace decides to pay a visit to the club for her column. Her first clue that things might not be so romantic come from the club's voicemail, which proclaims, At La Trapeze, there are no strangers, just friends you haven't met yet, featuring a juice bar and hot and cold buffet. Come November 19th to celebrate Oriental Night. Hmm. So some red flags there. Yeah, it doesn't quite pass my smell test there. Like, obviously written in the 90s, certainly. Well, and who wants to go to a buffet at a sex club? I mean, of, like, flesh buffet, but not, like, brisket. Honestly? Okay. Mac, I'm going to open up here on this podcast in this very safe space. I've been to an adult entertainment club one time in my life, and there was definitely a buffet there. Like, it was in a rural town in Washington, and yeah, definitely a full-service buffet. So, Alan, you mean like a a, a go like a dancing? You mean like a strip club? I was trying. I was trying to be, you know, like a little coy, but yeah, I mean like a strip club. Well, okay, I just want to make sure you not didn't go to like La, La Trapeze Northwest, oh. you know, their Walla Walla location. Holy shit! Yeah, I did forget about the Walla Walla location. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes, no, specifically a strip club. It's halfway between the prison and the reptile farm in Walla Walla. For those of you curious. Holy shit, I do think both of those exist there, which is like a really crazy poll, and I'm very impressed with you right now. <laughs> I, I used to drive through Walla Walla all the time, and I would stop and see some sites, including my uncle. But there are just some foods that aren't sexy. Like, how do you watch someone eat, like, biscuits and gravy and then want to go do nasty things with them? I don't think there's an attractive way to eat biscuits and gravy. There's not. Certainly. Well, okay. Hang on. If you're everyone has a fetish, right? So I don't want to poo poo those people who love gravy and wants to watch a woman smash her face into a biscuit swimming in gravy. That's fine. You know, I'm not a gravy fetishist. I don't know what they would call themselves. Maybe um, the saucy boys. Um, uh, yeah, that's a that's perfect. Lucky. I don't even know. Not why even I, number two. I bothered trying to think of one. <laughs> I'm not a saucy boy, but. <laughs> It would be kind of nice to be with someone who was because then you get awesome gravy all the time. Like if somebody has a food fetish, I hope it's something that I really like. Well, going even further in that fetish, the fetish would need to be watching you eat the gravy. Because if it's it's their fetish for gravy, they'd be eating gravy off of you and you'd only smell it and not get to eat any of that delicious brown stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would need to introduce like a biscuit fetish (laughs) and then maybe we could really Uh, hit things off. Of the many common biscuit fetishes. Very easy. Let me go through my Rolodex. Hang on. Not this one. Not this one. No, this one's too kinky. Before Candace heads to the sex club, she has a discussion with her friends at dinner. And the question that comes to everyone's mind is what kind of people go to a sex club? They come up with losers from New Jersey. What is your answer to that question, Lucky? My answer to the question, what kind of people go to a sex club? Yeah, not a joke, not setting you up for something. 
probably professional jockeys for horse racing. After a hot day on a hot horse, you just want to go get a delicious mug of juice from the juice bar, <laughs> eat some biscuits and gravy, <laughs> and if you have time, get railed bar. by six dudes. <laughs> become the spit roast after you've enjoyed some delicious spit roast yeah is there other theme nights where like if they serve a whole pig then there's apples for people to like go around and put in their mouths while they get stuffed they have an oriental night of course they would have theme nights like that there would be like the renaissance night there would be like some some rough ones i would say they have an oriental night and like candace is excited and then she realizes that it means food not people and i was like candace like you're upset about that name for the real wrong reason that's like offensive for every reason and you're like pointing out i wish it were asian people and not food like whoa candace put it back in your pocket put it back in your fashionable louis vuitton handbag 85 bucks in cash and a safe sex promise later and they're inside the sex club candace and her most recent ex-date sam enter and find out that there is no prostitution allowed no cameras or recordings and if you want to eat at the buffet your lower torso must be covered which is sensible i appreciate that actually that's a really cool move by the management there the buffet featured mini corn dogs, which I thought was pretty funny. You know this about me from being best friends for a long time. I fucking love mini corn dogs. And I feel like if I was in Candace's shoes, if I had brought an ex date to the situation, hoping to maybe find something about myself, I don't think I'd be able to tear myself away from the mini corn dog section. My God, they're delicious. You'd be filling up your fashionable Louis Vuitton handbag with mini corn dogs. That's what I call my tummy. The Louis Vuitton handbag. The fashionable <laughs> Louis Vuitton handbag. Well, at the end of the day, her conclusion is this, that exhibitionism, voyeurism, and BDSM are not mainstream and that they should stay that way. That the types of people who come to these clubs are boring, failures, and not people you want to spend intimate time with. And that when it comes to sex, there's no place like home. Which is a decidedly vanilla outlook to me (laughs) for someone who was brave enough to write a sex column and go to the club she kind of like, attacks these people and then is clearly made uncomfortable by her conversation with her ex-date. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Not team Candace on this one. A little prudish Candace should have sent Charlotte in. Oh, I don't know. I've never seen the show. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember which one likes stuff like this. It's hard to say. We loved a serial dater. Column number three concerns a man named Perry, who is, as the title suggests, a serial dater. Now, lucky for those folks at home who don't know, what does that mean, serial dater? It means somebody who only goes on first dates and has cereal. Oh, what a psycho. Can you imagine you take someone out to like a a steakhouse or something and she orders like Captain Crunch and they're just like, I don't, we don't don't have cereal, ma'am. I know this is an audio medium, but my face is scrunched up in disgust right now. Captain Crunch at a steakhouse? The nerve. Or even more psychopathic. She orders it and he's like, mm-hmm, and you, sir? <laughs> Whoa. That, okay. Wait a minute. <laughs> Curveball. I would be concerned I was in a punked at that moment. I'm looking for Ashton Kutcher around every corner or in every fern. Like, where is he? Come on, Ashton. Come get me. That, mm, that reference really dates us. I think we need to like, let's like, you know, <laughs> like say, oh, just like that one YouTuber. All you kids out there, you know who we're talking about. We don't, we don't even need to say the name. We don't know that any of the fucking. That Frankie YouTuber just like them. But that's going to date us some more. We're going to get called out for our bullshit. <laughs> I'd rather people know we're old and know that we're funny for it. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I'm looking around for Jamie Kennedy because I want to see, you know, the hit MTV show, the Jamie Kennedy experience, because I'm getting experience. Watch out, Bam Margera is about to rub his balls across your forehead. Perry is a 43-year-old man who dates up to 12 girls a year, but not because he's a player exactly, but because he desperately wants to get married. However, 
After a few weeks, the girls always dump him. Candace speaks with seven of Perry's exes who are all more than eager to speak about their experience. One woman reported meeting his parents on their third date. And then the next day he proposed to her. A little a little fast, I would say. You know, I'm no expert in the dating field, but you've seen the most recent five seasons of The Bachelorette. So I think you know a thing or two about dating. The most recent two, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, another woman said that he proposed after only knowing her for 10 days. So he's like jumping the gun a little over eager, I'd say. And if he's proposing this much, is he really feeling it? I mean, that's where my heart is at, right? Like after this podcast, I want romance to be real. I want to feel it the way that Wittershins felt it, you know? I, I... Yeah. Given his intensity, most of the women choose to jump ship, but only a couple of them seem bitter at all. And more than one of them described him as being a rebound man or and one said that he was an emotional Mayflower. He gets women from point A to point B oh. You arrive at Plymouth Rock feeling enormously better. Oh, could you imagine that's the person you are for people in their life? Like, oh, my God. I mean, you know, I'm hoping that my previous relationships don't come out of the woodwork and tell me, hey. It was really good of you to be there for me so I could use you as a springboard to find my husband. Like, damn, God. I, I kind of feel like my relationships meant something, but shit. Or imagine you pick up a newspaper and you read a column about your all your exes got together with a journalist and talked about you in depth. That is worse. That is worse than the thing I said. My God, that would be a nightmare and a half. Never married women. Toxic bachelors. <laughs> Our final installment for this episode concerns marriage and asks the question, why are there so many eligible older women in the city? Oh, did you bring a character too? Who is this? I'm Candace Bushnell, author of Sex in the City. I'm ordering you to cease and desist with this so-called parody of my book and myself. I don't know any Mac and Lucky. I'm just a Count Luckula here to do the podcast. Lucky, do you remember what I told you about doing Dracula-themed characters? No. I'm glad you took my advice. I said it's always funny. Right. Every single time it's Every funnier time than it's last. And, I, and it is. I agree. Everyone agrees that the New York dating scene breeds a certain type of successful, smart, and forever single women. But why? We mostly hear from men in this chapter who postulate different reasons, including that all women reach a certain point wherein they must get married. Maybe they've slept with too many men. Maybe their career is fizzling out. Or perhaps they desperately want children. Then they either get married then at that moment or they never do. Yeah, a lot of lot of troubling themes in this old story. Yeah, that theory's wrong. So maybe we let's see what else these men have to say. <laughs> huh. Hopefully, one of these men say something sensible and romantic. I let's hold the edge of our seats. Uh, Candace doesn't agree or disagree with that theory, but when another man chimes in with the question, "Well, what about love?" she just replies, "I don't think so." The one guy trying his best out there to say something mildly romantic, Candace just shoves him in the dirt. Another man, Jerry, posits that once a woman hits her late 30s, she has too much baggage. Oh. They already dated so many guys. What's the point in pursuing them? Uh, oh, 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 no. Mac is getting worse. Uh, Candace's friend Peter agrees, saying that men are unable to be attracted to a woman out of childbearing years. And that biology <laughs> is to blame for all of the single older women in Manhattan. No! So not just ignorant, but downright, like, stupid, I would say. Yeah, yeah, so it's very rough. It's very rough in this day and age where we're trying so fucking hard. Tucked in the middle of these harebrained misogynist theories, one person blames the city's toxic culture. Quote, you're dealing with a crowd of people 
who are enormously privileged and their standards are incredibly high. I think this person is the closest in the entire book to understanding why these people aren't able to find love. Certainly that would make more sense to me just in the essence of the New York experience through the lens of this column. Lastly, we hear from Sarah, a filmmaker who argues that the problem doesn't lie in what the single women lack, but what they're willing to do. She says, if you want to get these guys, you have to shut up and agree with everything they have to say. The column ends with a phrase from South America, apparently, better alone than badly accompanied. So I don't know exactly what this means. A Candace doesn't ever seem willing to want to come out and say what she thinks or to offer a thesis for any of these columns. It's always just these various thoughts and little sort of jabs and jibes from her, which, you know, it's not an opinion piece. It's a column. It's journalism. So I can't falter too much, but it would be nice to have her come back and rebut some of these guys's harebrained theories. Yeah. This was a time when journalistic integrity really meant something. So I can see why her column was very specific as in, you know, just the facts and not her specific opinions. So you're right though. I would really love to hear some of her opinions on some of these dweebos and their terrible ideas. Well, lucky we're four columns deep and I think that's going to do it for us this episode. What do you think of sex in the city so far? I think it's interesting. I think we haven't really found that like titular kernel that made the show the hit that it is. I think there's some interesting stuff that Candace brings to the table in terms of 1990 New York City dating. I think that I I guess, you know, we've seen kind of past the veil into some of these deeper parts of New York, the men, the sex clubs, just the meetings and everything. It's interesting. The the delicious buffets, the all you can eat biscuits and gravy at the sex clubs. (laughs) I mean, you know, New York has come to life in these columns. And now what I want is that next step. What 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 is she trying to achieve in the column? I think that's what I'm looking forward to in our next uh, our next chunk. If you want to reach out to us with your own biscuits and gravy stories, you can do so directly at grbooknook at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram as well. That is at grbooknook. Uh, also, if you are enjoying what we're putting out there, if you're really loving these Sex in the City Chronicles and your favorite two host reactions to them, make sure you share the show with your friends. You know, we don't advertise in any way. So word of mouth is really the best way to get this out there and get the product to the people they love. So please do us that favor and we'll thank you with even funnier content. I want to give a shout out to Algae for the use of our theme song. These episodes mitigated suffering. Our next episode is going to be out on July 30th. That's right. It's going to be the second set of the columns in the Sex and the City collection, the inspiration for the titular TV show. Now, before we go, Lucky, I do want to plant a little seed for us, a little nest egg for the future. Make us a little bit of money. Plant it, my dude. I'm fertile. We are going to come up with right now the next Sex in the City. Easy. I love it. Okay. So my thinking is, what if it's like sex and then something else? Okay. Or like, it's still the city, but right. it's something else in the city. Well, okay. My, I guess my first um, my first steering would be, I think we should need to keep sex, right? It's the only thing that sells. Business 101 okay. constantly tells us sex sells. So I'm into that. I'm what into about that. sex in the ocean? Oh, so like a, like a planet life, but like planet life XXX. Yeah. Wait, do fish fuck? Okay, I you know what the worst part is? I know we've had this debate before, and even still on this platform, I could not tell you a fish fuck. I think fish mostly like lay the eggs, and then the be, other fish comes and well, the other fish know, definitely does his cooks. business. Okay, there has to be a fish that fucks. I, I refuse to believe there isn't one. Dolphins aren't fish, right? But the, okay, what about dolphins in the city? Whoa. Okay, now we're talking. They have the same feelings as humans. They could have the same drama. I like this. Dolphins. They have sex for fun. Dolphins in the city. (laughs) 
God, you couldn't even you could not fucking pay me to go to that dolphin sex club. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh my god. <laughs> that is my living nightmare. All you can eat plankton buffet. They would never dance at a place that had fucking plankton in the wait, no, they love it. They love it. They're not against it. <laughs> what about sex in the city and the city? So like someone has sex with a personification of a city? Yes. In, I'm into it. This sounds like a Neil Gaiman short story. It's very. There is a John Constantine story of when he does bang the city of L.A. And I was into that. I think that's very good. Sex in the giant peach. <laughs> no, no, you've gone too far. No, no, that's where it ends. <laughs> that, that movie was already so terrifying to Little Lucky. I couldn't possibly imagine incorporating sex into that adventure. <laughs>